Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. What is good, loyal listener or first-time subscriber? It is me, Nick, saying, how do you do? Nick, from this podcast you're listening to right now, Nick Nack goes to the movies. You like movies? I gotcha. TV shows? I still gotcha. Some random life stories or things about overcoming grief and trauma exploration? Weirdly enough, that happens more often than not. I don't think that will happen on this episode, but DBD. But that does bring us to what we are talking about, which you might know from the episode title and description, but honestly, it was pretty hard to come up with this week's episode. I knew I was seeing the latest Jurassic Park World Park movie, and I kind of thought maybe I would do a whole franchise thing, a callback to my first ever video episode way back in like 2015. But instead, uh, and even on this show, I talked about you know, I was going to wait and just the idea of waiting until the Top Gun sequel came to a streaming service, Paramount Plus, probably in mid-August. But somehow, Jordan from at Kuth Careers, follow her on TikTok and all social platforms, got me to, to go. They always say I'm DTG, down to go. Uh, and not even on $5 movie night at Marcus Cedars here in Wisconsin. So that's saying something. So, the theme of this podcast episode quickly became how different franchises have come back to make a sequel entry. And this is no surprise or new thing for Hollywood, but in this case, you know, from Jurassic Park World, it was the end cap of a second trilogy. For Top Gun, it was becoming a franchise, adding a sequel entry a bit under 30 years after the original took flight. So let's see if this is a flight simulator of success or if we are entering a danger zone you know are these franchises prehistorical and need to become extinct or are these movies bringing and breathing new life into them something new something borrowed something blue like that dinosaur in jurassic park see what i did there as we always start these off who is in this movie Starting with the dinosaurs one, the better question might be, who isn't in this? Because it is stacked. The new kids on the block with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, it's to be expected. But I was hyped for the big three to come back together on screen. In more than just cameos that, you know, Jeff Goldblum did a little small role in the last movie. But to see him with Laura Dern and Sam Neill was everything I could have hoped. Outside of that, B.D. Wong is back, which after the first movie, he's been in all of the later sequel trilogies, and Omar Sy. Remember when he was in the X-Men movies as Bishop in Days of Future Past for a little spell, and we hoped he would get more, and overall that franchise would just be more. It's done now, TBD on when our true X-Men MCU things are going to happen, but let's pour one out for the Fox X-Men episodes, because... I made two podcast episodes on that, not just one, but two, but that entire movie franchise, I've enjoyed, I've talked about time and time again. It was nice seeing Professor X, spoiler alert, in Multiverse of Madness, but still, I need my X-Men content. As for new ads, I can't say I knew much about Mamudo Aithi outside of his role in one of those Amazon spooky movies, Black Box, which was kind of a cheaper version of Get Out, I will say, to some degree. 
I enjoyed him in this movie, and he was probably the only new character that did anything to move the needle for me in this. Also, he is in that Netflix show, The Get Down, which I've thought about time and time again to, to start. You always need some new summer binging things. Uh, the, the movies are kind of starting to trickle out now. Uh, you know, this could be one, right? And there's a few Jurassic actors in this with Justice Smith, too, but outside of him... Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, who we talk about on here time and time again. Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa, who's in that new Kenobi show, along with the season three baddie in Dexter. And Giancarlo Esposito, who, let me preface this with some of the boys' season three spoiler warning. Okay, that should give you enough time to pause if you haven't. While as an actor, he needs no introduction, right? Breaking Bad, The Boys, no one remembers Revolution, but I like that show. I have both seasons on DVD on my new bookshelf, thanks, Elise, and, and so many other things. But hopefully he is back in The Boys soon enough in Season 3. Uh, so this The Get Down show, mark it down as a show to maybe your a new fun Netflix thing for both you and me, maybe sooner than later. With the latest in not the Jurassic Park movies, but the Jurassic World movies, Dominion. Not sure if it's the final entry, if there will be more. Pretty much everyone was back who you would have thought of. I know people don't care for Jurassic Park 2 all that much. I really do feel better than most about it. But sadly, there is no Vince Vaughn reappearance as Nick Van Owen in this movie. But what this does have, while not the same actor, it's the same character from the first one. When... Uh, Wayne Knight, the scientist from the first one with the computer virus, tried to get the Barbasol can of dinosaur embryos out. He met with a blonde guy with sunglasses. This man, the character, was Louis Dodgson. And this time he's played by a different actor, Campbell Scott. So there's a nice touch of payoff of some sort of you know, overarching villain, or at least it closes a circuit of a storyline from the first three that never had been solved from the original 1993 film. So I remember liking the fourth movie quite a bit, actually, seeing dinosaurs wreck a live and active park with people at the park going to it was super fun, you know. The first one was cool, too, of course, but there was something about it being a active park. It's like your roller coaster tycoon 3 uh, horror show fantasies. But I kind of... This feels similar enough to... Like the first Hunger Game, first two Hunger Games movies. You know, when the dinosaur parks are kind of empty, or they're not even at parks, or, you know, the Hunger Games aren't happening in the movies, there's always going to be this feeling of something is empty and or missing. And that kind of is the case in this one. We have dinosaurs bopping around the real world, and, you know, after the events of the fourth, and more so the fifth, you could say, to blame for that movie's conclusion as to getting us where we are today. And while this is going down about as well as expected, the movie jumps you into, like, sci-fi animal hijinks, shutting down illegal dinosaur breeding groups, which is, you know, how we get introduced to Dallas Howard, and, you know, Pratt is doing cowboy-ish with dinosaurs running home on the range, being lassoed and such. And while this movie... You know, I like to think you care about Jurassic Park. You go into the theater. You want to see some cool dinosaur things. And, like, some of the weird stuff here with some of the sci-fi stuff, there's, like, I don't know, maybe someone's a clone, maybe it's not. 
I don't that clone girl storyline really didn't do a whole lot for me in the last movie and like some of the stuff may not sound super sci-fi but like crazy locust dinosaur hybrid swarms I mean that's pretty as all the gene splicing which look Jurassic Park is a sci-fi movie through and through not like robots and stuff it's dinosaurs but some of the stuff is just a lot going on and Big insects, you've you've heard me talk time and time again. I don't like big spiders or just bugs overall. That one King Kong with like Jack Black and Adrian Brody. I didn't need it. <laughs> um, so this was close to not being my scene. Thankfully, I don't know why they don't bug me as much. These uh, big ass locusts. I mean, they're gross. But I got over it enough. More dinosaurs than bugs in this movie, rightly so, but there's more bugs than I would have wanted, just like there were more births than I would have wanted in Men. Yeah, we're still making fun and talking about that weird-ass movie, Men. It's a weird movie. I don't know why I have seen it, but I have, and I'm. it's going to be, uh, you know, on the punching bag for a while. But back to this movie and the cool things it does, not talking about weird bug things, And I've heard mixed reviews about it, but I enjoyed having uh, Blue the Raptor, have a baby raptor to hang out and run around with. There were some 10 out of 10 cute and fun moments. And the whole, you know, the baby produced itself because they're always, they don't have the full dinosaur gene. So they're throwing random frogs and amphibians and they're making weird problems for themselves with these dinosaur genes that they're adding into it. But... I enjoyed Blue and Baby Blue uh, in this movie. In this franchise, we've had a few evil companies. The first trilogy had Injun. Now we have Biosyn. They all just want dinosaur things, money, and like all the power in the world somehow based on these dinosaur things. So Biosyn was the company that was trying to and eventually did steal the dinosaur stuff from the first park and group with Injun. Corporate espionage is a part I feel like we forget in this franchise, not unlike Star Wars and political stuff. But it's wild with this company, you know, they're like kind of secretly, not so subtly, hiring mercenaries to straight up kidnap a kid. And I guess they kidnap the baby dinosaur, which leads to maybe some more questions in the movie of like Chris Pratt being a raptor trainer in the first park and how weird it got trying to like assess their relationship because the first movie you kind of had you thought an idea of him and raptors and how it kind of worked together and then you know you can't control wild animals like certain people maybe don't have pets i always wanted a pet hammerhead shark still holding out hope but you know maybe this movie makes you think maybe i don't need a pet hammerhead shark but still i always thought it was weird trying to assess their relationship and how it never really made sense maybe there's a little bit of respect sometimes there's not sometimes there is it's very up and down And while I don't care for uh, the big mutant locust storylines, which is kind of how we're introduced to the first of our original OG big three, seeing Laura Dern, who, you know, who needs character names when you have actor names like these, back in action with existing, like, doing things, it was exciting enough. Uh, Like, just by itself, just existing was cool, but doing stuff much better. And not just sitting and talking like Goldblum did in the last one, and... Pretty quickly, you see Sam Neill, too, 
who I also watch a ton in, uh, and I've talked about it a few times. Never, I don't think done a review on it. The Daybreakers vampire movie on loop. I've watched a lot of weird vampire movies recently, especially when I was writing this episode. Like, uh, what did I see? Um, I think it was just called Vampires, the John Carpenter one with weirdly James Wood as a lead, which she she never would have thought of seeing him as like a lead guy in a movie. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, Back to this movie, you know, seeing Sam Neill and and Lordern together, not just in the movie, but in the same room and same scenes together, it was super good for me. I feel like the last time they were together in that third Jurassic movie, uh, the outing didn't really have a lot of them physically doing stuff together. I had some phone calls more so here and there and a little bit of together time, but gosh, that third one, super bad one. Uh, I mean, it had the dude from Fargo, William H. Macy, classic movie, but I don't know. That third movie was weird, but now that I'm thinking about that third movie, which I would probably say it's the lowest of my six. I don't know. That fifth one's pretty bad too. Would, um, do, do you hear me out? Do you guys remember how, uh, Alan Grant, who's Samuel's character had an assistant in the third one, Billy Brennan. And, you know, he seemed like, Oh, maybe, you know, they're introducing a younger version, kind of like they did with Shia LaBeouf and Indiana Jones. Um, but you know, Billy was kind of, you know, trying to do a little self-centered stuff and normally those characters die and he almost died but he came back in the end learned a valuable lesson all that good stuff but if they had had uh this assistant guy uh the character's name is billy brennan that would have been neat i know this movie is loaded but even like a cameo of him at the dig site where you know neil goes off with dern um, and maybe, you know, Billy's in charge Well, he has to do this. And he'd be like, yeah, no, I don't want to deal with dinosaurs anymore after the last time I'll stick with the ones with fossils. Like that would have made me smile a bit and would have same thing helped bring even more together a bit, uh, with the shared universe and the same thing, right? You can't have him and Vince Vaughn and every other character you've ever seen, but I would have liked to send those guys even same thing. Vince Vaughn in some interesting small role, um, you know, especially because he kind of was like a media photo guy, like something, right? I don't know. Food for thought. And this shared universe is is massive. And honestly, they probably have more movies out than anyone would have thought with six. And even they have some other projects in like the animated show on Netflix, I think. But, you know, the, the dinosaurs are always going to be the cool backdrop and setting of this. But the, the characters, especially the ones you really care about, which, you know, are the big three seeing the the flirt so close yet so far relationship drama between Dern and Neil is so much fun to watch again like they have that chemistry down pat I have to say at times this movie uh it's just a bit all over the place you know we talk about globetrotting movies they happen in a ton of you know big blockbuster action movies I don't know if I needed to see all these different places in a Jurassic Park movie you know um, you come for the cool dinosaur stuff and like the whole B storyline of looking for this girl, this clone, maybe clone, they need her for science experiments. I just didn't care for taken light without Liam Neeson. Cause if you're going to do anything with taken or even close to that, you got to have Liam Neeson after all. Now that I've said that, and I didn't need this trip to Malta 
for different kind of black market with dinosaur stuff, of course. Kind of like the boys, right? Where there's dinosaurs and people. What are the worst things people will do? Or, you know, some zombie shows, you know, where people are waiting for, like, something to happen and then they just descend into madness. And I guess that's kind of what happens here. Uh, the action, though, in this uh, malt stuff and the chaos was fun. Seeing dinosaurs eat people. Like, you know, it's cool, right? That's what we're here for. And Chris Pratt did his best uh, unintentional Batman interrogation with a guy getting both his arms uh, eaten by different dinosaurs until he answers the question, then that guy gets his head eaten off by a third guy. Like, hardcore. Um, the weird gun tech of laser sight dotting people so dinosaurs can attack them is still goofy because a laser makes you think you could just laser sight shoot someone. So that was a weird thing of that last meme. Probably one of the weirdest things overall was being some big advance in weaponry, which just felt like more steps than it needed to be. I I never understood that part of the movie. Uh, But seeing the control dinosaurs like have like attack patterns and take out CIA agents, it was kind of fun. I I hate to admit it. Uh, You know, raptors chasing after people through a populated city was a fun backdrop for it like instead of the usual jungle stuff the whole sequence is like laden full of plot armor and cool looking things but none of it made me feel like it mattered and a lot of things happen in this scene and movie overall that just need to happen and do because they need to do like certain things and the plot needs to move forward no matter how unlikely having a pilot have a change of heart to help them these two random stranger parents only felt so believable for me. I know you'd say, oh, in a movie full of dinosaurs, that's what's unbelievable, but I don't know. I just, some of these things you watch here, you're like, I don't know if I'd think that would happen. Uh, in the world of this, you know, world, I guess, right? I really came into this movie wanting to like it, unfortunately, more than I did. Maybe my expectations were too high. And my visions was clouded with nostalgia hope. But to be fair, those three oldies but goodies really ate it up when they were on camera. Goldblum will always be fun. You know, he's one of those guys where, or actors where it doesn't matter what the role is. You know who he is and he's putting a little bit of something on it that you know it's him. I will say, as much fun as he was, it made no sense to have him at this dinosaur's research uh, hidden facility thing. With his history of not liking that stuff. Dumb choice from this big company to have him work there and have all this clearance. But having, you know, the rivalry of Neil and Goldblum, uh, like, seen again is fun. And even having Dern and Grant sneak into facility and work together, all of that was the kind of stuff making me smile. Even with the locust scenes were not exactly the thing I wanted to see over and over again. Also, it's kind of funny that B.D. Wong is always kind of behind so much stuff with dinosaurs, even though he's never really, like, the villain. The fact that, like, they made a joke in the movie about it, like, that was a real tongue-in-cheek, super funny moment for me. He's always not him. We can't bring him. He's always behind it all. Like I said, clone kid being not a clone, having DNA from a mom we never met who did cool science stuff. I don't know. It, it, There's so much like, is that what happened? I don't remember some of this stuff. Like introducing stuff in the sixth movie is such a tough, such a tough thing to do. And I've talked about time and time again, especially with like Friday the 13th and Halloween. <laughs> I don't know. Like things like this is just so whatever. Um, and I just didn't care about it. 
a dinosaur movie needs to be about dinosaurs. Like, that's the main thing. Come on, people. It's like that time Indiana Jones had aliens. Like, knock it off with weird ideas to freshen up franchises and stick with what makes them good. Like, you can do cool new things, but you don't need to go so off the rails that you kind of lose track of what's going on. There was a cool villain, you know, James Bond-type plot of using these locusts to make themselves, this company, the monopoly on food supplies, but the whole nothing dinosaur-wise ever works the right way thing. Like, after a few movies or stories in the fictional world, do you think people would get a hint? Like, at a point, maybe stop going to Crystal Lake if you don't want to get got by Jason Voorhees. It kind of feels like the same here. The Italian snow mountain base is a cool setting for chasing people around. There's some of the the winter setup. There's the jungle and building an old metal, like, dark pipework stuff. So, cool setup, right? Now, the plane crash and no one being, like, even a little hurt continues the plot armor of saving everyone. And, I mean everyone. Actually, like, not one important non-bad guy dies in this movie. And that's fine. But you kind of expected someone to die, right? I mean, look, I'm pissed. Scream 5 spoiler here. There you go. That was the pause you needed. That one of the big three in that movie probably had to die, especially with who they killed off. Dewey, who's survived time and time again. He was a heart of the series. Uh, You know, I was pissed that it happened. But it had an impact of people not being unkillable. And that was a horror movie. This is sci-fi it's not our rate or anything but still like once everyone got to the island dinosaur chasing was fun but the stakes really only ever felt scary once and i thought they were going to kill goldblum like he was taking on one of the big dinosaurs trying to distract him thankfully he made it out he was the one i never wanted to die but they could have justified it the most being the single one isn't that weird Um, Because that obviously didn't save Dewey in uh, the Scream 5 movie. But, look, I I don't know. All the dinosaur names, right? I'm not a dinosaur expert. I never claim to be. Uh, There's T-Rex in it. That's cool enough for me. My favorite, less mainstream, more indie dinosaur is the Plesiosaurus. Kind of, it's like a Brachiosaurus, the long neck one. But it's more water-based and has flippers. Weirdly, those are not featured in any of the six movie. Cancel the Plesiosaurus erasure. Caleb, if you're listening, I hope you like that Mudkip joke. I know we talk about Mudkip erasure. I don't know if it's a thing. I just, you know, gotta throw it out there for you. Support your cause and all that. Um, but this movie has so many crazy big and feathered dinosaurs running around causing trouble. Well, that and the locusts are flying around on fire thing. While this group is just running around trying to fly out of there. And it's, there's like a massive group of people to get out. All those people are going to make it. But there is something funny about uh, the the villain, right? The guy Nedry was working for in the first one. He died the same way that he did five movies later with the venom spitting dinosaurs that eventually ate him after. And while those dinosaurs are just fighting kind of like in the background, like there's a dinosaur team up fight that belongs in one of those Godzilla or Kong movies. And if you know my take on that franchise from my podcast about it you know that's not necessarily a compliment <laughs> but while this movie was fun enough it never really did anything wild to make me stoked like the first entries of both trilogies as it did and i have to say while the romance blooming between Dern and neil was great and you know much overdue 
it's a bit too unearned at times. I'm not sure how I feel about uh, that, but I, I liked it enough. But the thing I'm probably more unsure about is the message and moral being pushed at the end of dinosaurs living in harmony in the world and just, you know, flying dinosaurs or flying around with birds and other ones roaming with cattle and horses. It's just a weird end. And, they, you know, they tried making it a positive end. I don't know if they needed, you know, world-altering end of things that's how it ended. I kind of was hoping for maybe something a little more personal. I just remember leaving and was a bit whatever about the end. And honestly, the movie has a whole of it. So maybe this franchise should call it a day, become extinct. Um, but the question at hand now is, is the next old bird of a franchise, can it take flight once more and capture a new audience decades after? Before I get into Top Gun Maverick, I have to say, yes, I've seen the first one. I think it's funny, cheesy, and the Danger Zone song is fun along uh, with the shirtless volleyball part, right? Those are all great things, but that's about it for me. I don't have a deep love affair with the first Top Gun movie, so the idea of a sequel never really did anything for me. I, I really, in time and time again, have talked about it here. I said, oh, that's something, you know, maybe I'll watch it when it comes on streaming services. I will, but, you know, that was kind of where my thought was at. I wasn't going to go to the theater. <laughs> I don't know. Drones replacing pilots maybe is a neat idea, but is it a neat enough idea to go pay for uh, a full price movie, not even the $5 Marcus Theater one? For me, I would have said it's not an idea good enough for that, but I did it, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so here we are talking about it. And I'll, I'll put it out there now. I, I said unfortunately because you know I didn't really think about doing it, but I'm happy enough I did. So if you want a ton of nostalgia with actors in this sequel, you're not in luck. It's a danger zone, or that's not happening. It's pretty much Tom Cruise and a bit of Val Kilmer, which makes sense. We'll get into that later. No Meg Ryan, no Kelly McGillis, and no Anthony Edwards, which makes sense for his character. Goose is dead, but you never know if if they would have done some, you know, death vision or flashback or like his voice or anything like that. I don't know. It could have maybe happened. I don't know. The Kelly McGillis one is probably the one that I was confused about the most, but we'll get into it. Also, unrelated, the best call sign in the first movie is for sure Hollywood. Sundown's not bad. Uh, but nobody will change my mind. It's the best in the second one, too. But who is in the second movie, since it's mostly new people? Well, Jennifer Connelly is the new love interest. Miles Teller is the son of Goose. His name or call sign is Rooster. And John Hamm's in this, which obviously I love. He doesn't do much here, but I do love him as an actor. We'll all think of his Mad Men stuff, but if you want a movie, I guess you can get enough from him in The Town or Bad Times at the El Royale, even though he's not on camera for the whole thing. He's not the main character in either of those, I guess you'd say. Miles Miller, who plays the fun enough Bob with the call sign of Bob as his name is Bob. Okay, it's fun, right? Is in that movie. Uh, fun fact, I really thought it was Paul Dano, uh, the latest Riddler from the Batman, for a good chunk of this movie. And while I don't know all these actors, the alleged new MCU Falcon is in this with Danny Ramirez. Also, Ed Harris is barely in this. Kind of feels like a waste of his talents, but hopefully the next season of Westworld is fun enough. Not too abstract. And I hope he has more to do there. Pretty much I watched that show, but I'm more excited normally for the soundtracks and what pop uh, orchestral arrangement songs I can throw on my playlist. I really want to focus on Glenn Powell. 
he was the new Iceman substitute here, and he did a great job. Maybe he was more of a jerk than he needed to be, but I enjoyed his presence here. For the longest time, though, I was trying to think, where did I know him from? I couldn't place him. Was he the guy from Umbrella Academy in Resident Evil? No, apparently that's Tom Hopper. Was he someone else? Uh, maybe, but apparently uh, where I knew him from, there was the face of kind of that, that you know, kind of jerky kind of character. He's actually the dude from Screen Queens, uh, Chad Radwell, which I hear they're getting a third season. I've heard it time and time again. I would love to see it, especially if they could bring back the the lead from the first season who wasn't a second season. Uh, also, apparently he's in Expendables 3, the one that I remember the least. But to Top Gun Maverick, like I said, the idea of drones being the way of the future and pilots maybe being obsolete, it's a neat idea, especially with Maverick being older himself. You could say he's a relic, too. Uh, Now, Maverick, before getting his whole thing shut down, lives up to his name and does the cool, good stuff to be the best pilot ever, help out people, but he, of course, always does too much and gets the ship crashed and all sorts of messed up. Classic Maverick. And while the whole time it appears that it's up to, you know, a now sick Iceman to pretty much save him in his career world the entire time, post the end of the first Top Gun. So once again, Maverick is sent off to Top Gun, the, this time under John Hamm as the no-nonsense military guy who has to keep the best of the best Top Gun people and have Maverick prep them for a mission, an actual mission, thank goodness. Uh, the other one felt like there was a little thing in the beginning, a little thing in the end, but it was mostly just school, right? The first one was fun enough, but it never really felt like a ton of it mattered, Um you know, maybe there was a semi-mission, it just, it, maybe, I, maybe I need a refresher, I didn't think I did, I, I get the gist of Top Gun, stuff was just missing from the first one overall for me, so this one has at least that going for it, that off the bat, there's a clear mission they need to do, and a reason everyone has to be there, and why the thing has to happen, and why they need the best of the best pilots, now, when Maverick gets back to Top Gun, you would think the love story with Kelly McGillis would be a part of it, but instead he opted for uh, a younger woman to fill the void in the plot, which without an in-world explanation is weird, you know, there's a reason why they did it, but it's weird that they just don't, you know, mention anything. They kill off Meg Ryan's character as Goose's wife to not have her in there either, which once again feels weird because I feel like that could have had something for her. But the new romance with Connolly gets the job done of some romance. It's just weird that it has to be like kind of this out of the blue thing that they make it feel like there's history, but we've obviously never seen it. And it just moves on from the first one. It's just really weird. So the mission at hand is something, something uranium, something, something mountains, hard to blow it up and maybe it won't be back alive flying from it. It's kind of generic military stuff, but you're not going to this movie for deep military things, I don't think. You're going for flying and cheesiness. The characters in the beat set were in the first one here, too. You have the son of Goose, who's kind of semi-Goose, semi-Maverick. The new bully, so it's all kind of still there. The comedy relief with Bob. And after that, it never becomes too exciting who these other characters are. Um, There is uh, the one uh, pilot, uh, hey, you know, we have a a woman pilot, which is exciting because somehow in the first one that just wasn't a thing. Monica Barbaro kind of takes on that role and 
the cool thing is they kind of make her to out to be like one of the top pilots, if not like the top pilot, because I think that's Maverick's wingman when they do the mission. So, you know, giving her the props when they can. But yeah, a lot of the same beats are, are kind of hit here. Maybe they get, you know, a little little remix, a little mixed up as they go. Um, you know, there's a training montage when everyone's losing to the older race. In this case, it's Maverick. Um, so, you know, once in a little twist, uh, shirtless volleyball becomes shirtless football on the beach in some weird game. There is a great balls of fire song with a piano thing, which is a fun introduction to the son of goose, you know, similar mustache and all. I think that of course is probably one of the best parts of the movie. Not the, the cover of great balls of fire. Maybe it is. Uh, maybe it's that weird little dance he does, uh, when they're playing football, but when I'm actually referring to is the conflict and issues with Rooster and Maverick. I don't think the younger cast storyline is all that wild and out. The rivalry with Hangman is maybe a bit too nasty at times, but still interesting to a degree. But the best has to be uh, of just things overall in this movie, the conflict and kind of getting in the way of each other between, uh, you know, Maverick wants to keep a promise and keep Rooster safe, and that fight between that and you know, the mission, and so there's some character drama, it's good, right, I I can't question it, it's actually good, Um, and sure, you kind of can't take Tom Cruise out of the movie, he's a big part of it, so the occasional Maverick Wild thing is working out, helping the team, and the Young Guns as a whole, right, you know, it's all, you kind of know what you're getting with this movie, I think, for the most part, I don't know if you're ever really surprised, I did think it was funny that they decided to omit hangman who's the glenn powell character for being a bad team player pretty much because he seemed good at flying and stuff but the fact that they had a whole mission and we got to see it like that was pretty fun and the drama and tension was there in spades you didn't know who was going to make it out alive because you know we don't know if there's a top gun three coming out take to the skies danger zone trilogy or whatever but you know they could have easily said, all right, it's time to kill off Maverick. Or, or, you know, if they wanted to be real crazy and dark, they could have killed off Rooster. And that would have been, that would have been tough. I don't know if they would have done that. But, um, you know, in this they had uh, Maverick save Rooster. And then they had Rooster do the same, all while making it out. Like, and they actually seen them, like, walk around and have to sneak on an enemy base with an ancient plane, like, from the first movie. I am happy that they did a little stuff out of the cockpit, but it was... You know, you're questioning, oh, are they going to be, like, giving suppressing fire and all this crazy stuff? They pretty much just snuck onto a plane and walked slash ran, and they got out pretty quickly. Um, But the action in Top Gun comes from flying in the sky, so, of course, that's where it had to be here, too, right? Um, It was all fun, and, like, it was just cool to see. I mean, there were a lot of, like, fake-out endings, maybe too many endings. First, there were two planes that they make it out of. After that, they handle those, but then there's one more, and it's maybe too good of a plane, and they're out of stuff, and they actually get saved by Hangman, and he's called that because he always hangs back, but then he didn't hang back. Thankfully, he had something to do in the end. I don't know how I feel about Top Gun Maverick. Is it fine? Yeah, I think it's fine, but you can probably tell I'm just not as overall invested in this movie, even if I know it's probably a better movie uh, than I can speak on, especially probably compared to you know, what I had just seen uh, and talked about previously in the last of these Jurassic Park, World Park movies. The end is good enough. 
gives happy endings to Maverick and Rooster, clearing up family issues of the past and kind of resolving things for them both, and letting Maverick settle down, even if it's not with the lady from the first one. But some interesting things. So Val Kilmer, uh, Batman, of course, and the third of those ones from the 90s, Iceman, of course, and these. No, not Mr. Freeze. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, among other roles. Uh, he lost his voice back in 2015 due to throat cancer, but they were able to, in this movie, make it all work. You know, obviously they had a lot of his moments come in and texting and such, but later they had him in person, and you figured a lot was going to be in texting still, but they gave his character, you know, a, an illness of, you know, kind of matching what he has in real life um, with not being able to speak, but, or making it hard to speak was what they said, and... They used some, you know, audio manipulation and sampling to get his voice back, even for a brief moment. Um, and the way they honored and respected his character and the actor behind it, you know, they had a funeral for him, and like it felt really good. You know, uh, it made me smile. It made me a little emotional. Like I was pretty about that maybe because it felt like it was connective tissue from the first to the second that and the you know redemption storyline have you guessed it the grief and trauma exploration with maverick and everything he's been through and seeing it personified with rooster goose's son like those two things had me you know i can hang my hat on and say those are really good especially with the action sequences so it's a fun movie I was a bit late to the movie, uh, and I had so initially I came into this thing. Oh, they didn't use Danger Zone at all. I hate this, but apparently the first moments of the movie is like an early montage uh, with like the text and everything you expect with the song Danger Zone. I know I was not thrilled to discover this, but to have it not be in the main movie bits of you know the movie itself, the meat of it, it's bad, bad. And maybe I'm just bitter because I didn't see it, but you know what it is. The song is supposed to be a staple of the movie, you know, has to be. Can't believe I missed it. <laughs> I guess that's one thing I'll need to rewatch on the digital service of streaming release. But before we get to that, let's talk about the letterbox reviews I've given these. So, like I said, the interesting thing is I came in wanting Jurassic World Dominion to be better. And Top Gun Maverick, I was more like, fine, I'm sure it'll be fine. So Jurassic World Dominion, I gave it three stars, which might be high. Maybe because I really liked certain parts of it but I know it's not amazing. It's fine. It's a fine movie, especially for the franchise, but with six entries in, I kind of, you need a little more than just fine. Top Gun Maverick, I expect it to probably be like three stars was what I was going to go with beforehand, and a lot of people put this a lot higher, but after watching it, I'll I'll give it 3.5. It's a better movie, you know? I don't need to watch it again, except for that part in the beginning, but you know, it's a fine movie, and it's good. You know what? I'd even say it's a good movie. I think people will enjoy Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion. I think you got to be a diehard to enjoy it, and you kind of have to turn your brain off or, you know, try to ignore some of the parts that make kind of whatever. So there it is, and that's the episode. Here we go. Uh, a little bummed, right, with Jurassic World ending the six-movie franchise on a low note, but pleasantly surprised that... Top Gun, which I didn't think needed a sequel, was pretty good and fun. Even if I don't think, you know, outside of the Danger Zone beginning part, I'm going to need to watch the movie again. So those were some newer takes on some older movies. uh, And their, you know, latest entries in their series is now Top Gun is a franchise. We'll have to see if either of these movies 
will spawn sequels. I think Jurassic World is is going to be done. I, I don't think there will be anything for a while. They could do another Top Gun. I don't know if Tom Cruise would be in it, but they could do another Top Gun. I don't know if we need it, but they've set the boundaries and layers for it. And I guess they set a few new characters in Jurassic World too, but not ones that I would feel the need to spawn a whole franchise out of. I don't think they're going to continue either one, but but what do you think? Also, what is your favorite dinosaur? Let me know that and more on knickknack underscore IC and knickknack movies on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and more. And I mean, if you want, you can give me your Top Gun call sign too if you had one. Like I said, Hollywood's pretty good. I don't know if I'd have one, but Hollywood's good. I, I like Hollywood. But uh, that's all for me, folks. So cheers. And as always, until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this, see you later, alligator.